Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Hey! We started recording. (laughs) And so it's time... To start the podcast, that's usually what happens when you start the recording, is you start the podcast as well. It is indicative of both of those things. <laughs> hey everybody, uh, this is the B&E Podcast, uh, where we're doing the whole thing, uh, discussing the balance of artistry and industry, all that lovely stuff. <laughs> uh, and so today's our not-so-serious day, so we uh, we don't have any topic, Uh we're just going to, we're just going to go. We'll find our way. We'll feel our way along. And it usually works out at least as far as we know, nobody's told us otherwise. Not yet. Not yet. So people keep listening. There's some troll out there. Who's just like, Oh, Oh, (laughs) I'm going to tell you everything that's wrong with this podcast. (laughs) Uh, so that's been going for you, man been going pretty well, you know, like just lots of, for me, there's just been lots of life stuff Yeah, going on. Just, it's been like, whoa, uh, getting married, uh, in like a month. Yeah. And, uh, I guess a little under a month now. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, it's coming up. And, uh, and so you just had like uh, a bachelor party, which you were present at. I don't think we're going to really talk about that, but <laughs> It was, no, it's gotta stay. it was good. It was fun. <laughs> it said the bachelor party stays in the bachelor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's like no matter where you are, it's like a mini Las Vegas yeah. event yeah. that occurs. Uh, not that I did anything that I'm, I'm particularly ashamed of. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's been kind of what's been, been happening with me. I've, uh, haven't been recording any new music recently. Like my one song is being re kind of not like remixed as in like remix, yeah. but like the, the, the mix is being redone. Yeah. Um, cause the guys who are doing it, like they, they have, uh, they have a fairly, you know, like it's a really, it's a really good setup, but it's fairly, fairly based, but they were actually took the song, uh, when they were doing some recording in like a big studio here in town and they were like, Hey, can we just like plug the song in so we can like, we can hear it. Yeah. Uh, through like their like ridiculous, like, I don't even know how much their audio system would, would cost in there for monitoring. Right. But, um, so they listened to it through that and they're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And so now there's tweaking. Oh, okay. It's going they on. Heard the finer things now. Yeah, exactly. Right. You start to pull out the little details and stuff because I was able to hear like from the first cut that was sent to me, it sounded really good, but there were a few things where you just go like, Oh, like that, that is a little bit like off. It's just like this little part is a little too loud in Mm. the mix. It's a little too forward in the mix or this is not quite forward enough. Like bring this up, bring this down. There's so much like of this little stuff that goes into it. Yeah. You're like refining. Yeah. Yeah. And the more musicians I've, I've talked to about it, you know, the more they say it's like, Oh yeah. Recording is like, is a completely different beast, right? Like it's, it's completely different from doing a live show. Recording is, um, a different kind of a different skill set. 
in many ways. Like you're still playing music, but you're not necessarily playing it all the way through. And, and you know, you're, you're recording some elements of it and then you're kind of putting them all together. Right. Right. There are artists and there are times when a band or whatever will all just like play and they'll just record everybody. They'll just mic everybody in a big room. Yeah. And then they'll just do that. But even then they'll still go through and, and edit the mix and they'll be like, Oh, okay. Like let's dial this back. Let's bring this up. Like let's, you know, Mm. EQ this a little bit more to balance the sound. Right. Um, so, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a whole different thing, but it's a very cool process to like watch it all happen because it is like, it's kind of feels like cut and paste Mm. and you don't even necessarily know what's even going on. Well, like, because you're just taking like little chunks, like, okay, we're just doing this little bit and mm. you record that. And then you put on another layer of something else and then another thing and another thing. And then it all comes together and you go, Oh, holy shit. Right. Like the first time hearing the drums come, come in with like the, the melody and the chords and stuff was just like unbelievable. Hmm. Such a cool experience to just yeah. Cause a lot of this happen. is pretty new to you, right? Like the whole, Oh, it's, com- it's completely new to me. So you must be learning a ton as you go through it. It's been an insane learning experience, so, like, but it's so good. Like it was, it was challenging and frustrating. Um, but really, really rewarding. You know, like there's, there's certain, like there, are, it seemed to be on each day that we did of recording. There was like one thing that happened in that day that I was just like, fuck, come on. Like, can I just get this already? Can I just like, uh, like, but there's little things that you go, Oh, okay. I never understood this before. Mm. I never understood. So it's taught me about just like general, like musicality on some levels. And it's, um, it showed me a few things about my playing as well, where I'm like, Oh, okay. I can improve on this. Mm. Um, but it's also cool having other musicians, there with you who, because they can sometimes recognize your strengths right? where you overlook, we overlook our strengths so often. So I'm like, I don't know. I feel like I'm just fucking up or something. And they're just like, no, no, no. And then it's like, you, you don't realize, and they can help point out the things that you're bringing to the table mm. that you're just like, because you don't know, like for myself, I've just been playing for so many years just for myself. Like I kind of just know what I do and there doesn't seem to be anything particular about my playing to yeah. that I can speak of and, and identify necessarily and be like, yeah, this is, I'm a kind of a player like this. I have no idea what that is. Hmm. Right. So it, it was, it, it was a lot of self-awareness and my, like sort of my strengths, my weaknesses, um, and also battling sort of my own inner critic, uh, as you have to do take after take after take after take, which is why it's a lot like filming. I found it's like, okay, let's do it again. Something wasn't quite right with this one or something wasn't quite right with that one. Right. Um, and even then like you still, you'll end up taking bits of each take of like different ones. You're like, okay, the first part of how you did the verse was really great. And then the second part of how you did the verse on this take was better. So then you splice them together. Oh really? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, and I thought, Oh, like, does everybody have to do this? Cause you feel like really uncomfortable because you, for myself, I'm just like, I just want to be able to knock it out. Right. You know, like just 
you know, be a one take or a two take wonder play it all the way through. And it's like, and just nail it. Hmm. Um, and then you, and then you start watching this process unfold of, of just like, okay, well let's take the first, you know, bit of, of the here. And then we'll take this take of the same thing, but the second half of it or whatever, and we'll combine them. And it's makes it a really strong thing, but you kind of go, Oh, like it, it just weirded me out at first until they told me, it's like, this is how everybody does this now. Mm. Like, and they said, in fact, this isn't even how crazy it gets. Um, I, the guys who were helping me record, I mean, we had, um, we had Shane Martin on the show before, but, um, uh, his, his friend who's great musician, he's also, and now he's moving into like the production side of things. Um, I'd love to have him on the show. Uh, just cause he's, it, it's kind of fascinating to know how his sort of head works and how he's approaching it. Yeah. But, uh, he, he was telling me, it's like, it gets really crazy with how much, um, uh, in production and recording they do what is called comping, which is what that basically is. You're taking little bits of each thing and you're putting them together kind of Frankensteining it a little bit to get like the perfect thing essentially, or as close to perfect as possible. And he says like, you know, we're taking like a whole, like couple of lines or bars or verses, right. Before we do a comp, it's like, there's people who will literally like, they'll get down into it to such fine detail. They're like, I love the, when I said, when I sang the on that, and I love that of my consonants on, on the end of these words, like they will like not even whole words, like just consonants and vowels and like, they'll actually just like (laughs) Frankenstein music that way now. Wow. And it's just the way it's done. Wow. So then like, how does that, I mean like then, so you're getting musicians that their work doesn't necessarily translate back to being live anywhere close to what they do when they're recording. Yeah. But at this, but there's, I think there's a whole nother component that happens live though. Mm. There's something like, you know, in, in a studio you can do all sorts of, you can do all sorts of shit and post, right. You know, like you can, like there's still a certain level and quality and things that you need to get down. Like you need to make sure you do it right at recording. Sure. Um, but there's just so much stuff you can, you can bring entire components into like an instruments into a recording yeah. that you wouldn't otherwise like for this, like they added some organ into the song, just like in the background. I'm like, yeah, let's do some organ. But if I ever play it live, like I'm not going to have any kind of a band with me. And so you have to figure out how to do it. And that's how a lot of musicians end up working. Like the, the recording has all of this production into it but then you have to do a live show of it and you're a four piece band. And so there's only so much as you can do. So you have to find ways to adapt it, to make it work for a live situation. Right. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's like, it's interesting. I've already done like a, a figured out like just an acoustic, like variation of the song that we did because there's like drums and there's bass and there's, there's the guitar and then there's organ and there's harmonies and there's like, there's just all of this stuff happening with it. It's like, how do, how does one person with a guitar do this in a way that kind of has, is, is still impactful. 
So is it the, is it the person who's the producer, like the music producer who comes up with kind of figuring out the elements around the artist or the talent? Like, cause like, uh, you know, say you have a musician, right. Who is a really good singer, maybe good guitar player, whatever piano player, doesn't matter. And then they're like, okay, well let's take this song, but like, let's build it outward. I mean, I'm sure the musician has some ideas on what they want, but yeah. are there people who are like producers or something like that? They're like, okay, well, we'll do this, this, and this, and we'll add these elements in it so that we can make this song more full and more enhanced. And is that like a part of the process? Or? I mean, I think that it's probably all part of what producers do. Hmm. I mean, again, it would be good to have a music producer come on and just to, to go into like a little bit like, well, how do you look at what you do? Yeah. Because in this situation, I came in with a song. Like I had a song, I'd, I'd had kind of the chords for it. I, I realized in retrospect, like, cause when I went into it, I kind of rushed into it. It was like, it was a, actually a matter of timing. It was like an opportunity. It's like, I didn't have certain things figured out as well as I might've wanted to, but I'm like, well, screw it. Like, let's just dive in. Right. And it was almost like in many ways, like there, there was part of me that was just bemoaning myself for not having figured some of the things out better before going in. But it really actually made the lesson really powerful Mm. for me and being like, Oh, okay. I understand why having certain, these things kind of ready. So before stepping into recording. So it was like, it was really getting like, one thing was really having the, the arrangement figured out. What's the arrangement? So basically, um, how do you have like, uh, like you have in a song, you know, a typical song structure, you have like a verse and then a pre-chorus or a, or a bridge or something. And then a chorus and then a second verse. And you know, like it's, it goes and there's kind of a way that it's structured. Right. And then the chorus will come back and the chorus, you know, so, but it's, knowing how that's all going to flow. Okay. And I had, I had it probably like 80% figured out. I'm like, yeah, it's going to go pretty much like this, I think. But I still hadn't gotten like really solid on, uh, the, the, the chords, you know, like for some of those parts, like I kind of knew where the verse was going to go and the bridge and the chorus and how that was all going to go. But I didn't have, uh, I didn't necessarily have it completely worked out how like the chords were going to go, how the melody was going to go. Mm. And then lyrically as well, it was like a little bit too, it was a little bit, yeah, it just wasn't quite figured out as much as like I realized as, as you want it to. So, because then you end up wasting a bunch of time just trying to figure these little things out. Oh, I see. Right. As opposed to being like, all right, this is how it's going to happen right? Like I've got this stuff in place and then you have room to play with other things that you kind of want to play with, but there are certain things you just don't want to have to play with too much. It's like, you want to be able to get the bones of that thing fucking down, right? Just boom. You just want to be able to drop it down as quickly as possible. And then it gives you more time for kind of discovering a lot of these other little things. Okay. Right. So if you're going to go in, you've, you've recorded one song now, right? 
Yeah. So if you're going to re- go and record your next song, what are the things like, and this is maybe good for other musicians to hear. What were the things you'd say, okay, this is what you need to know going in. Like, yeah. Or, you know, like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, you learned, right. You figured it out. You made your way through, but like, what would you say even to yourself? Like, okay, you need to know this or you need to do this. Like, this is going to help you, you know, like what are the, cause when you start something like this, right. And you don't have a mentor or a teacher or some guy like telling you what to do, you just kind of go, okay, well I'll do the best I know how to do. And then, and then fortunately you had people around there that could help you after the fact. Yeah. But like before you ever got to the recording studio, what's something you would tell a musician to like say work on before they even get there? Um, I would say like, have, like have your, your melody and your chords like down, like have it, have all that down, like have your arrangement down, know exactly how it's like, are you going to do, is it going to be verse, chorus, second verse, chorus, um, you know, bridge, chorus or something like that? Like, or is it going to be, you know, are you going to have like a, an intro and then, and then a verse and then a chorus and then, you know, a second verse and then another thing, like just have that, have that really figured out how that's going to go. And, and yeah, and know, like be able to play your song all the way through start to finish. Mm. Like before you come into recording, like make sure you've done that a bunch of times. Okay. Um, yeah, that would be like my big thing is just like, yeah, no, make sure that you just have that, that's settled. Why is it so important to be able to, I mean, play it from beginning to end all the way through in recording? Why is that so important? Uh, I think it's, it's so you have, you have a good understanding of how the whole song fits together. Okay. How it all comes together. Because later you're going to do it part by part. I mean, if you can, um, what's ideal is you actually are able to lay certain things down, like in one go through. Okay. Right. Like I ended up having to do like, all right, we're just going to do the verse, right? Okay. And now we're just going to do the chorus and now we're going to do this, but like it, to be able to play the whole song through, like without having to really think about it, I would say that's, it's almost like learning lines as an actor, Mm. right? Like it's like have those lines so, so down that you don't have to think about them for a second. Like they should be, it should be in your veins. Same kind of thing. I think with, um, with your music and I'm not going to say this is because I'm still fresh with this stuff. And I'm not going to say that, um, this is always the way that it has to be. But if you're, if you're someone who's like me, who's like kind of inexperienced, who's looking at stepping into a a studio session at some point to, you know, record an EP or, or do a demo or something like that. And so you're walking into an unfamiliar situation. It's have these things set up, right? Because there's going to be kind of little challenges that arise that you just won't be used to, that you won't be, you won't understand. And, and, it makes it way easier, a hurdle to jump. If you've got, if you've got some of these things just in place, mm. you're like, well, I don't have to worry about this part of it. You right. know, like you've got, you've got it there. You've got a good foundation that you're resting on. 
So yeah, really like knowing your shit, like of, of your song. It's like, okay, yeah, I know this is how it's going to go. I know how the shift is going to go from, from the, from the verse to the chorus, you know, and I know how I'm going to transition from this into that. Mm. Like just knowing how to do that or really having it in place. Right. Same thing lyrically, knowing, knowing how you're going to sing the song. It seems kind of obvious in many ways, but there were, and to a large degree, I did understand how I was going to sing the song, but there were certain, again, there were a couple of little things that I didn't have something set up for. Mm. I went in and I'm like, you know what? I honestly don't even know how I'm going to sing these two lines. Right. Right. Like, and, and so there was time that was just spent on, and it was fine. It was okay. You know, we ultimately figured it out. But if you're in a situation where, you know, if you have a limited amount of time, you know, like you don't want to have to be doing what I did. I had the fortunate situation of being with some people who were like friends and they were like, yeah, no, like we're just, we're just here doing this, right? Like we're just here to make some music and record some stuff, you know, because it's fun yeah, type of thing. Um, but you won't necessarily have that luxury. So knowing like, it's like, okay, this is what I have. Like you have your, your song really well sketched out basically. Just have it really, really well sketched out as best you can as like a person. And and yeah, you'll have your ideas, but that's where you start to play. But you need that, that, that tying thread through the whole thing, which is that melody, you know, that, especially that arrangement in that melody, like really know what's happening there because they had even said like, well, lyrics aren't even necessarily as important as the arrangement. They're like, Mm. we can work out the lyrics like while we're recording. Right. Um, that's them. I mean, some, some people, they might not, that might not work for them at all. Hmm. And just be like, no, I need to get the words down beforehand. Right. Um, cause some people like, they're just really great at hearing music and then being able to write lyrics with, to it, like boom, right away. Uh. Um, but for some people it's like, no, it takes a bit more time to, to do something like that. So yeah, for me, it was, uh, yeah, just having, having a good idea. Like I do have another song that we're going to record and I was like, yeah, like, and I've, and I've got it. Like I know how, how I'm singing it. I know like how, at least I've rehearsed enough and I've practiced enough the song in a form where I can play it start to end and sing the song and play the chords. And I know what I'm doing. Hmm right? I know exactly how I'm moving from this to that and whatever. Right. And so I can go in and I can just put it down and then, and then I can monkey around with it afterwards. Right. Mm. There's little things you can do after the fact, but it's like, it's getting the base that sort of that base level down. Right. Um, and then it's like, Oh, you know what? I actually think I might want to do this with the vocals instead. Yeah. Like I might want to just do this here or this here, so but you're change. not making major changes. Right. Like it's, it really is like, you want to have that core down, you know, it's like, or that uh, for, for screenwriters, it's like, get that. It's like, get that first draft down. Yeah. Just get the ideas out, you know, but have them like, do it, actually write it, <laughs> right. Get that sketch put, and then you can, and then you start to work it and then you start to, to work it after 
you have it done. Mm. But otherwise it's kind of like, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, it it just makes the process, I think more difficult than necessary. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, I mean, a couple of things that are interesting to me is one is learning backwards. Like, because you had the experience of what it's like to record, you can kind of look back at your process and use that to inform how you're going forward. Yeah. I I think like writing a screenplay or making a movie is a lot like that too. Like the best directors are usually already seeing the movie in their head and how it's edited and how it's cut. And they're seeing a lot of it before it ever gets the editing room. So a lot of what they're doing is like, you know, they're, they're ahead of the game because, you know, and, um, I found with screenwriting too, is like something kind of came to light with me as I've been working on love lost and I've been doing my new drafts. But, um, the difference between editing and layering in screenwriting Mm. and editing is like, if you think of editing is like, okay, well let's cut this down. It's too wordy or let's like say this simpler or this section doesn't work or let's just get rid of it or let's do something else entirely. Yeah. But like, I'm finding the edits are more in like terms of layering. They're not like editing. Like they're not like, like most of it isn't cutting stuff out and like, it's more like going, okay, well let's like take this character, but like, let's take this character and let's even try and bring it down even another level deeper and another level deeper. And what's yeah. interesting is as one character gets brought another, another level, the, and the next character can kind of be brought down and, and then so forth. And it's kind of making me realize more and more about writing is that it's, you know, you want to get rid of, you you want to kind of get into the editing stage where you're not even editing. Like you want to get your first draft done. Like if you're like, as I get more experience, it's like when I put out a first draft, that first draft, there'll probably be editing, but that's not really where the great work's going to be done. The great work's going to be done in the layering. It's going to be in like, how do we take this thing that was already a good idea? Because we pitched it before we even went out and wrote it. Like we knew it would work before we even went out and wrote it and brought it into another level. And it sounds like with the music, it's kind of like that. Like you don't want to go to the studio recording, figure out how are we going to put this thing together? Like that all should have been figured out beforehand. Yeah. But then when you get there, you go like, okay, well maybe we can add in this instrument or this sound, or we can like enhance that or do yeah. this. And maybe this, you know, can bring out something else. And I think like, that's a big lesson that I'm learning with art is that, you know, that's the difference I think between like, being professional and being amateur because then when you're amateur, you know, I think you should just write or you should just make your song. I don't think you should worry too much about this. Yeah. I think if you want to like hone your craft, a lot of where your best work is going to be done is in your layering, not in your editing. Yeah. You know what I mean? But editing is an important part because editing is like that honesty part where you go like, nah, this isn't working. We got to cut that shit out. But like layering is where you take something that is already working and you make it better. And because you made that better, you enhance that and inform something else yeah. and it helps you to make that better. And then when you put all the pieces together and you've layered them all, it becomes this really like masterful thing. Yeah. You know, and, and I think the first, it's this full and rich and alive kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the first draft of anything is always very crude, but like, I think there are better first drafts, not because not always because the person's a better writer or something, but because the person was either really inspired and connected to something or, or, and, or ideally, and they've already thought out, like, what would this be? If I like, cause you can kind of like, before you ever make a song or you write a script, you can kind of go in your mind and be like, this is what I'm trying to do. This is what I'm trying to say. This is why I think this is important, you know, like, and, 
And I think before you ever even put anything down on paper, there's already something that makes it kind of work because I think the worst thing anybody can do as a screenwriter is write a script that has been like totally half baked. Like it hasn't been thought out. No one ever pitched it ever before they said it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Before before they wrote it. Like I'm going to write this script. And like, if you, my, my, my kind of model is if you can't even pitch it, then you probably shouldn't write it because Mm. most likely it's not going to work out. But like, if you can pitch someone an idea and that'll be interesting, the thing that you pitched them on that was interesting was probably the whole, what the whole thing should be about because that's the thing that captures everybody's attention. Right. Um, and I think like with a song, like, you know, I'd imagine your song, it starts with an inspiration and that's the nugget. Like that's the thing that gets you to go, okay, this is worth doing. And then, you know, you do your best it's like kind of like, okay, well I got this nugget. That's what the song's about. Then you figure out how to make the song and put it all together. But then once you get to the studio, it's kind of like, okay, now let's, let's, let's kind of bring more of that like nugget that was there in the first place to the surface yeah. through these little alterations. And yeah, I mean, that's kind of how more how I'm seeing the process, but you know, it's, it's funny how so many of these mediums relate to each other. Like even painting oh, yeah. is like this and, you know, and drawing and, and, and sculpting, you know, so much of it is like this. I mean, like, uh, in sculpting, right? Like one of the big things is like, okay, there's this whole chunk. We don't even need it. Let's just chop that right out. It's like just a big crude cut. But then after you're doing that, then you're doing the fine muscles on the leg, you know, and you're not chopping out big pieces anymore. You're just tinkering away at little things. But if you're trying to tinker away at the big block, before you even got to where the yeah. leg was, that's just a waste. Like all that time and energy and effort, yeah. is, that's all kind of crap. It's like a big square block, but there's this one, like, there's like a, just like a little more than an ankle, yeah. you know, coming down. <laughs> like, it's like, that's a great looking ankle there. <laughs> but I mean, it's like, you don't, yeah, you've got to start carving out like the big pieces so that you have an idea of where you're going. Yeah. And there's a, right. There's something like, like, I mean, if you think about it too, like if, you know, we, we all have like creativity. We all have the block. We can all kind of like, or the blank page or whatever, and we can all do something with it, but it's, it's what you do with it. And and I always say this to writers, it's not, it's the white space on the page is more important than what you write. Like if you really think about that from a reader's perspective, like they want to see more white space than they want to see your writing. And whenever I pull out a script and it's just all writing, I'm like, Oh, there's probably, it's probably not good. There's probably problems because when you see it and there's a lot of white space and you can tell, like, it looks like music. Like when you get the eye for a script, you can look at a script and you, you know, you, you look at it and you can see the pacing, like you can see it with the words and the way they put the periods and, and the spacing and the beats and everything is all, and, and you just, you just know it's going to be an easy read. You like look at it and you know, it's going to flow. Right. Yeah. And I think the thing is, is too, sometimes the look of a script is almost as important as what's on it. I remember seeing a, I don't remember what writer it is, but he's like famous for how his scripts look. Hmm. And he's a great writer. I wish I could remember who it is. Great screenwriter, but like he'll tinker with stuff just so that like uh, a line of action finishes on the page. Like if mm. it carries over like just a few like words onto the next page, he'll be like, no, he'll, he'll work it. So that, that line of action just fits at the end of that one page. Right. 
just so everything is clean. Yeah. When you're reading it, there's no like dicking around, like just, well, that's, just and as that's far part as of the presentation of writing too. I mean the way, like, and, and I mean, some people might think this is silly, but like the way a script looks, the way it's presented to you is sometimes just as important as the actual script itself. Because, you know, if you understand like framing and filtering the, like if we take amazing art piece, right. But somebody, some homeless person is selling it on the street. Right. And you see that homeless person, they got this painting and it's got like cardboard around it or nothing at all. No frame at all. And they're just like, this is the painting. You might go, that's a pretty good painting. I don't know if it's worth that much, but if you see it in like the Met or you see it in some big, you know, whatever, some big museum, you're going to be like, wow, that's probably this really amazingly expensive painting because part of it is the fact that it's in the museum, the fact that it's framed the way it is, the fact that they put like a little thing around it so you can't reach it and touch it. All of those things make the presentation of it more important. And the thing is, is that they actually like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain there's been experiments that have done been done on this, but like, if you tell someone that there's beauty in something and you make it and you make it hard, like you make it for them, you present it where it only like, it seems like there would be, they will look for beauty and they will find it. If you tell them that there's something ugly, if you tell them there's something like this, if you tell them something shit and you present it that way, they will look for how it's shit. So theoretically you could take a great script and you could present it like just really, really poorly. And it will not look like a good script. Yeah. And you can take a script that's not a horrible script, but like a script that's not that great, but present it and it'll look better. And that's kind of the weird thing about it is like our perception has a big part of how, you know, how we take things in. Right. Yeah. And I think like a lot of the presentation, like when you're talking about studio stuff, like finishing the song, a lot about that is I think, how do we present this in a way where people can actually hear the music? You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause I'm sure lots of people sing about really amazing, like deep, profound stuff, but if it's not presented, no one sees the deep, profound message under it. They'd rather listen to like some, you know, 40 pop, you know, pop 40 hit yeah. that like has nothing in it because that was presented better. Yeah. Cause catchy as fuck. Exactly. Or something like yeah. that. And it's just like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely something to be said for, it. I mean, I think there's a place for every, for everything mm-hmm. really. I mean, there's, there's always got to be some element that allows the audience to access it though. You know, just accessibility, um, I think can be an important thing. You've got to give something, something for, for someone to latch onto. It doesn't have to be much, but it's gotta be something, hmm. you know, cause if it's just, if it's too, if it's too all over the place, if it's too cluttered, if it's too, whatever, it's like everything just starts to get kind of lost. Right. And that was one thing I was noticing too, like my initial, like with this song, like my initial sort of thought for it. I had a couple of things that I was in my initial putting it together before coming into the studio. I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm going to, it's going to go like this. Like I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And, uh, I never ended up using them in the song because it's just like, it's just, it doesn't make sense anymore. Hmm. After a certain uh, other elements had been brought in, I was like, no, it's just too much. There's too much going on with this. So we're just not going to 
we're just not going to do it. Right. Although in an in interesting way, they, they did kind of still make their way into the song, just not in the way that I initially thought they were going to. Okay. Yeah. Well, wow, that's interesting. But it's, yeah, it's, in, I, I find it so interesting how a lot of these things, like you don't necessarily, that's why you, you can't get too locked into your choices. Like it's good to ha- like you come in with something, something decently, decently formed, you know, like something well formed. Um, and then the rest can, is, is all sort of, yeah, like it's, it's tinkering, it's layering, it's, it's fleshing out little details or bringing something out more. Uh, but you need to have that base to work from Mm. in order to, to understand because there are so many things that, that can occur that, uh, that just, that just change, that just change it. Right. And, and if you get too rigid, then it's going to start to become a bit of a calamity. Right. Cause it's just like, well, no, I want to have this part in it. You get attached to it. And then it's like, yeah, but now it's like, you can't really hear the vocals mm. or now it's like, but yeah, but now there's this other instrument and that we put in there that we really liked. And, and now that's washed out. Mm. Right. And so it's, at that point it can become, well, now you have to make a decision on, it's like, okay, well you can do that thing, but is it worth losing this other element? Right. Right. There's all these things that can, uh, shift it. I think it's also one of, something interesting that that one guy who I was mentioning, who's the screenwriter who will present his scripts in such a way, like he'll work on it just to like, so something will fit perfectly on, on this, on one page. Yeah. And I thought, you know, it's, it's, there's something that's really interesting about that, but I can see how that can be something that becomes needlessly obsessive at the same time. Like a you little, know, yeah, it's a, a little OCD. A, it can be a little bit OCD, because, yeah. but also because it's like, well, hold on a second because, well, all right. So you changed, you know, you took out a few words from this sentence, you know, back here on page seven so that everything would, would fit well. But now the thing that was a, already perfect on page 12. Well, it's not, it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> that it moves everything else out. Right. So you're using a computer, like it just kind of auto formats itself. It just kind of moves up and fits into the spaces. And, and so now you've created a whole other host of problems from doing <laughs> this one thing. Right. Yeah. Which is something I find really interesting. It's like, you I know, think you could only do that work after you've really like gotten the draft to a point where you're like really solid on it. Yeah. I, I mean, that'd be, it's like, you're not doing any more layering. Like you're leaving pretty much the story yeah. as it is. You're not now changing you just, or adding dialogue. You're literally just formatting the script. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like, that's kind of like when I think, when I hear something like that, that's like polishing, you know, because it's like, you know, just taking these little things and just touching them up to make them look, you know, the presentation is just a little bit shinier. It's just a little bit better. But I think like, that's one of those things that you don't do that until you've done all the other main work. I think where a lot of, um, you know, where I see a lot of writers struggle is especially writers who have already written their features or they've only written one or two maybe, and they're polishing. And it's like, this thing is not ready to be polished. And they're, and they're, they're trying to polish just like a turd in a sense. Right. Because it's like, it's not that they're bad writers, but it's like, no, you haven't, you still have not chipped out what the story is yet. Like you're still working with something that's like, you're still like the block is barely. Yeah. It's still, yeah. It's, it's, I was going to say, it's like, just like the, that 
you know, that sculpture, that statue that you're carving out. And it's just like, and you've been spending all this time, like you've literally done nothing else. You've just been like refining, you know, you started refining and and you've got this one really refined calf and foot, basically (laughs) like a, like a right leg, you know, the bottom half of a right leg. And it's like, Oh, but look how good the leg is. Like, yeah, the leg looks great, but I'm looking at this and I'm like, where the fuck is the hand going to go? <laughs> oh yeah. Where's the hand going to go? And it's like, shit, <laughs> shit. <laughs> you know, like that's what can happen when you get too, too like closed in on these little sort of details of, mm-hmm. of things. And you try and perfect too much of these little things as you lose sight of the whole picture. Yeah. Like that's, you know, when it comes to sculpting, I'm not a sculptor, but like from what I understand about sculpting is that whatever your image is that you're trying to cut out of stone or wood or whatever it is, you kind of actually need to understand the whole image before you ever go and do any of the fine bits, because you'll literally just run out of space. And once you run out of space, there's nothing else you can do because your block doesn't exist anymore beyond that space. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, the first thing to do is to do a very crude, um, almost ugly looking version of whatever it is within the stone. You chip all that stuff out, you get the big bits out. And then from there, then you can touch it up and kind of refine it and make it more of what it needs to be. And I think the thing is, is that the reason why people don't want to chip out the big blocks and make the crude image is because the crude image doesn't look like much at all. It looks kind of ugly and it's like, but you're not like, I think, sometimes people too, like, especially with writers, like they want to, I've seen so many writers that want to write a first draft and have it be perfect. And it's like, first of all, that rarely even happens for the best screenwriters in the world. Yeah. And even if it did, they would probably still refine it anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think the thing is, is like, if we put too much pressure on ourselves for the first time out for it to be so great, you know, we'll never make it. And, um, you know, we get focused on the wrong things. The first thing is to make this one big square rectangle block or whatever, look more or something like whatever it is your vision is. Right. Yeah. But like, you know, the whole, the whole picture and and understand that in process, there's going to be a good part of it where it doesn't look pretty. Yeah. It might look pretty in the beginning and it might look pretty at the end, but through the middle, it's probably going to all look like crap. It's all going to look like hard edges and, and you know, it's not going to be much of anything. And I think like for artists, we all have to, we all have to accept that there always has to be an ugly stage for art. Yeah. You know, and part of the exciting part is, is seeing the edges get it, get rounded off, Yeah, you know, and, and seeing the stuff come together or sometimes as, as I discovered it, it's, um, that you decide to leave a rough edge in. That was one thing that kind of happened in, in the recording process is we were, do, we were doing the guitar solo. Yeah. Right. And, uh, that was one thing that was like, okay, that's something I'll have to be aware of in the future is being able to replicate sometimes what you do. Mm. Cause I'm like, I don't even know what I did there <laughs> exactly, but it was all right. Cause it was captured, right. You know, for, for the one thing. And it was, there was something that was almost a little bit rough about it where I was just like, yeah, no, it wasn't quite played perfectly, but it kind of worked. Mm. It kind of worked just because of how the song sort of is. And it's like, no, just leave it. Mm. It's good. It, and I thought at least it worked for the song, but that's a decision that you at least get to make. Yeah. 
That's right? cool. At that point in time. So yeah, it's, um, and yeah, and I think of like, uh, when I, in art classes and stuff and taking drawing and stuff, and you start to learn, like, what do they start teaching you? They start teaching you lines and lines and shapes learn how to, you know, draw like a perfect, like basically body that's in proportion out of line, like lines and circles mm-hmm. and ovals and stuff. You yeah. know, it's like, learn how to do that. Learn how to create that shape first. And it's like, yeah, it doesn't look like anything. It looks like a weird oval man. And people <laughs> don't want to draw the oval man. They want to go straight to drawing the face. They want to go straight to drawing what they see. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but they're, look, it's like, their eye is down there. Like, yeah. and that's like over here is, it looks weird. You well, know? And that, that, that's the thing about like, you know, that's a great analogy too, because like with, with drawing, they teach you to go from very simplistic ways to more complex ways. And if you don't build with the foundation of simplicity, you probably won't be very good when you get to the more complicated parts of it. And I think like, um, you know, it's, part of it is that there's an ugly stage. There's just like an ugly stage in everything you learn. There's a period where you're not really good at it, or it doesn't look like much yet, but that's building a really solid foundation for where you're going to get to. Yeah. And I mean, I think like, you know, I think there'll be some artists who kind of have kind of an innate ability, like, you know, like some people just have an innate ability or whatever, and maybe they don't even know where they, were, they came from. Maybe they learned it through just, um, you know, whatever life, but I I think that everything that's really great is usually built on really strong, very crude, very simple foundations. And through that, you can build more complex ideas. But if you refuse to do the base, if you refuse to do the foundations, the crude part, you know, then you never really have like anything to stand on because those are the things that inform all the other more complicated things. Because I think with all art, I think the, the reason why people constantly struggle with it. Like, why am I not as good of an artist as I want? It's because they just are unwilling to go back to basics. Mm. I think that's it. I really think that if you just go back to basics, you will realize that you can be really great at whatever you want to do. Like how many actors do you know who've been acting for like five, 10 years? And they're like, and they, and they talk about how they're like, you know, I'm an actor. I do this, whatever. It's like, they want to be, they want to be on the show. They want to be on the movie. They want to do the thing. Stop trying to perfect everything and go to the audition, right? And, and present yourself, go back to the foundations of acting, go back to the fundamental things. It's not going to look great at first, but build from that because something happened. Like every lack of success, in my opinion, has always because there was some crack in the foundation that never got filled, that never got fixed. Yeah. And until you go back and you got to kind of like tear down your, your, what you think you built on top of it and go down there, you can build something that will stand forever. But like, if you never go back to the foundations, if you never like realize that you might have learned more than one thing poorly in the beginning. Yeah. And I think that's where like so many of us are struggling with so much is like, we learned a lot of stuff in the beginning poorly and we didn't build strong, simple, solid foundations upon which we want to build our empires. Yeah. And so now we can't build our empire. We like, why can't I do it? Well, you know, it's like taking a ship out to sea that has a hole in it and more, more energy is being put into patching the hole than it is to even sailing the ship. 
Yeah. So fix the hole in the hull, right? Fix that, then go sail the ship. But if you keep trying to sail the ship and you're always taking on water, you know what I mean? There's yeah. another analogy for you. <laughs> but I think analogies. that's like, yeah. <laughs> I think that's part of the problem, right? Is like, and the other thing too, is like, you can like, if you, I, I don't know if you ever sailed. Oh yeah. Okay. So I've sailed small boats. I've sail, sailed big boats and I've sailed in like six or eight foot waves. And, um, you know, when you've, when you've sailed different types of boats, you start to realize, you know, what's required and you know, what you can handle and, and whatever. Um, now my experience isn't as vast as some, but what I learned was after sailing on a big ship in big waves that were coming over the front of the boat and like splashing over and like, you know, and just experiencing that and, and feeling, you know, being rocked or picked up and thrown down. Um, my ability to sail drastically changed, but, but if I'm willing to go back to the foundations, like if I go back to a little boat now, after being on like big seas on a bigger boat and sailing that, like the, the, the little boat is so easy compared to the big boat. Yeah. But the little boat is where I built the foundations of sailing. I didn't build it on a big boat in like eight foot seas. Yeah. And so now we all want to venture out in these eight foot seas and you got to like go back for a bit, go to the small boat, try that out where, you know, see what you can do with that boat because we, you can do with a small boat. You can do a lot more with a big boat, but like a bigger boat, there's more at stake. There's more people on board. Generally it's, if you sink it, if you flip it, you know, there's bigger consequences, a little boat, you know, you tip that thing over, you fall out, whatever. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you learn something. But I mean, and the other thing is too, is there's like the, you know, the idea is like, well, the bigger boat is, is, is better. You know, you naturally yeah. just kind of think it's like, well, in some ways depends if you have a lot of people. Yeah. Then it's better. It'll give you all some more space, mm-hmm. you know, to move around or if it's going to be a long trip, then, you know, like, yeah, it, it might be good, but the small boat is so much easier to maneuver mm-hmm. in a lot of ways it doesn't do some things as well as a larger boat. You know, it won't cut through those, like those larger swells as nicely. It'll get tossed around a little bit more. You, in fact, in some, in some occasions you, you probably wouldn't even want to take it out. Hmm. You just want to, you just want to leave it there. But, um, you know, the idea is like, is still, it's like, well, no, no matter what, like you're, you're still out there on the water. Mm-hmm. They're, they're both getting you out there on the water and they're both catching wind like, which well, is the, yeah. the idea, right? Like it's anybody who's sailed, um, and has done like some big sailing, they realize that a bigger boat is a production. It's like a movie production. Yeah. There's way more people involved and, and because it's required. Too. Yeah. There's like, way more gear. There's way more stuff. There's way more elements. But like, I think like when we think about low, like I want to build, you know, I want to make a big movie or I want to be a famous actor. I want to do this thing what you're doing is you're going to be a part of a bigger production. There's going to be more people on board. If you can't even run a ship on your own, if you can't even sail with nobody, like without anybody there, try sailing with like six or eight or 10 other people there with you. And if you want to be the captain of the ship, you need to understand what you need people to do because you need to yell across to say, Hey, you know, pull that, watch out for the boom. Cause someone's getting fucking knocked off board and they might yeah. get seriously hurt on a big boat. Yeah. Right. So like there's things that there's things that, um, 
it, it just gets way more enhanced. The, mm-hmm. the, the level, but if you're calm and you're cool and you know the basics, then when things get crazy, it's not going to be scary because you're yeah. going to be like, okay, well, I know the basics. I know what we got to watch out for. I know what we need to, to do. Yeah. You know, like on a little boat, for example, when you're sailing and I've been in storms on a little boat, right? On a little boat, you could just be like, okay, I'm going to turn and then I'll turn again and I'll turn again. You can do this. You can zigzag really quickly in short periods of time on a big boat. You don't want to turn that boat constantly. You want to stay aligned for a little while yeah. before you start turning your line to another line yeah. because moving the boat and shifting everything around, that's a production. It takes work. And so I think what, what, what sometimes what people don't realize is you get too far down the road. Like you get, you go bigger, things get more complicated and you don't necessarily have the maneuverability. You, like, so if you set a poor line on your boat, um, on a bigger boat, then you kind of have made a bigger mistake. If you don't mm-hmm. get the right line on a little boat, you're like, Oh, we haven't got the right line. Let's just move it a little. Yeah. You know what I mean? But on a big boat, like, like there's someone up there who's pulling the rope over here, you know, and then there's the wheel and then there's the waves. And if you got a storm going on, I mean, and then the other thing too, is that there's the wind, right? Like uh, anybody, maybe people don't know sailing, but there's the wind and there's the waves. Yeah. And the wind and the waves don't always work together very nicely. No. So sometimes you're like, okay, well we, this is the best line, but the waves are going this way and they're shocking the boat like sideways. Yeah. Like if you've been on a boat and it's rocking side to side, it sucks. So you want to try and hit those waves straight on. Yeah. And so like, you need to give up a little bit of wind sometimes just so that, yeah, you're not getting tossed around. Totally. It, it's yeah, it's not the optimal line as far as capturing wind, but as far as not getting you know, getting your head rocked. Exactly. Yeah. Cause like there's a part of it where you, you know, you figure out, you figure out how to the oceans and, and the wind is an incredible thing because it's way more powerful than you are. So you have oh, to yeah. figure out where to pick your battles with it. Right. And so ideally the thing I love about sailing is you learn to work with the elements. You, you know, yeah. once you stop fighting the elements and you start to see the elements is like, okay, the waves are going this way. The wind is doing this. Um, you know, uh, this is what we're dealing with. You, you don't complain about the waves being a certain way. You don't complain about the wind being a certain way. You simply look at it and you go, this is what we're working with. So how do we deal with that? Because we could do the, what, what on paper is the best line, you know, but like now we're getting rocked back and forth and sideways. It's a horrible ride. Yeah. Or we can ride straight into the waves, you know, and we have the waves kind of coming over the front, but at least this way we're, we're you know, whatever. Yeah, or kind of riding them what's really more. beautiful is you get the wind at your back and you're riding the waves as well. So you kind of keep riding down yeah. waves. That's like an incredible feeling. But like that, the thing is, is life's kind of like that. Life's kind of like we're in the sea and we have the wind at all times. And I think when we don't go back to the basics, that's when we fight the elements. That's when we do stupid mm. things with the elements that are going on around us, you know? Yeah. Or we try and just out muscle the elements. Or, yeah. Yeah. And not acknowledge the fact that some things are moving and they're more powerful than we are. Yeah. And it's much better if we just worked with them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's talking about like all the sailing. I just started thinking of pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. You know, and just like, yeah, totally. Like that's a, like a, that's a, like a, a line, like it's almost like a, a, in many ways, like almost like an old film set. Yeah. It's like, there's like a whole crew of people who have specific jobs to execute. And then you have your captain 
who has to have a bit of an understanding of what all of them do or mm. a lot of an understanding of what they all do. And you just start barking orders when shit's going down. Right. Right. You just start screaming them and hollering them out. Yeah. Just and like, someone's looking to you because the guy who's, you know, the guy who's up doing one thing doesn't know what the rest of the boat's doing. Yeah. You know? And then there's a guy up there on the mast way up top on those big ships. And they're looking out to see like, you know, cause they don't have instruments. So they're looking out to see like, Hey, are we going to hit rock? Like what's coming up? What do we see out here? Yeah. You know what I mean? And so that person has a job. And so, you know, if you have the, the whole boat rocking back and forth and that person's like on a mast, that's like 60, 30 feet up in the air. Like, just think about what that would be like. If you're on the ground level and the boat's rocking like this, if you're at the top, you, oh, yeah. like, you're just getting tossed. Like you're getting, you're like, think about like the paradigm of how much you'd be moving. Like, oh yeah. You know, it would be unbearable, you know, at a certain point. And so like, you know, I think also sometimes we're on a ship and we're not the captain of the ship either. We're just on a ship. Right. And we're on someone else's production or someone else's thing. And we're in a certain type of position and our job too, like, you know, on a sailing ship, it's not just the captain that's talking. It's also some of the other people on the boat telling the captain the feedback so the captain can make better decisions about what to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so like on a, on racing sail teams, those, those guys and, and gals, they communicate like they're, they're yeah. a unit, you know, and they're trying to maintain a certain kind of form and speed. Yeah. You know, and some of them still end up like taking a drink, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, just, totally. like, but the, those, those ships are so like, they're like, they're, those are not ships that you take out like to do like a, a, in a necessarily an across the ocean type of like open water, blue water sailing. Right. Most of those ships are like, therefore doing these races. They're built to do a specific thing, but you watch them walk this line of, of like, how much can we push it? Because those sailboats are completely overpowered. Yeah. As far as sails go, like how much sail is on those boats, how little drag those boats have, because you know what, what a lot of people don't necessarily know about sailboats is that, you know, like they've got, you know, these big keels Mm -hmm. underneath them, like basically a big fin underneath. Um, and there's different types of them and, uh, they're made out of different types of things and whatever that is makes them better for certain things. And these racing ones, they have little to no keel on them. And, and they, and essentially that keel is to help keep the ship, like upright, like Mm -hmm. keep the bottom where the bottom is supposed to be. Right. Like, uh, my dad has a, has a 38 foot boat and it has such a huge, heavy keel on it that if it were to ever go upside down, it would actually right itself. Mm. It would actually pop itself back up because of how heavy this thing is. It would just, the boat would spin back around. Right but a lot of these boats won't do that. Yeah. (laughs) And they'll just like, and so you watch them, like they just put a little too much sail out. They cut something a little too, they're riding a little too much wind. Boom. You go right over. If you've never sailed, there's no way you would ever hop on one of those boats. Like that would be like, that would be like, like giving someone like a thousand powered motorcycle who doesn't even have a motorcycle license. And it's It's also, it's also like really tests your, your nerve. 
Oh yeah. As well. Cause like I, I remember one time out sailing and, and we had great winds and, and my dad just told me, he's like, he's like, take the wheel for a bit. Right. Like just, just sail on. He had the head out and we were catching a good wind. And even though I knew like, and my dad's telling me, he's like, you're not going to, he's like, you're not going to flip this boat. Like you're just not going to do it. Like it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But that boat leans over just enough from the wind and you're, and you're leaning and you've got speed happening. And I was still not even taking as much wind as I could have. Yeah. And I was just like, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. Even though like, it was like, uh, I could, it's like intellectually I knew that, but like on an emotional level, I'm like, holy shit, this is terrifying. Right. And this is like not even near, near what these other boats will do. Cause like they're so massive for one, like they're way bigger than, than my dad's boat and they go way faster. You know, they go like four times as fast Yeah, and they will tip over. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. You, you, you <laughs> you've got to like, and you've got to be like riding that, like you're like that, those boats are just tilted right on their sides. Yeah. They, and you know, they, like, and they find that line and they ride that line. I mean, I was, uh, I was, uh, sailing on this, um, little boat, um, in New York or whatever there's a big storm that happened and I'm sailing on it. And, uh, it, I guess the boat, uh, was probably about what, five feet wide maybe. And so I, the storm was awesome, but I had this boat tipped, like it was almost sideways, you know, almost. And I'm, you know, I'm leaning off on the other side. So I'm about six, it feels like six, seven, eight feet off the water Yeah, because I'm, I'm on the side of the boat sitting way up at this side, yeah. holding it. Right. And I'm trying to ride that line. And it's so scary because the, I, I, I would get the boat right to the point where it's just about to go face first back down, like, and throw me head first into the water. And we're, yeah. and I'm going, I don't know how fast I was going, but I was going about as fast as that boat could go. Right. And it's scary as hell. I, I don't know how to explain it. And that's not even that high up because those guys on those big boats, I mean, they, they're arguably, you know, 10, 20 feet up in the, yeah. like you, know? you see those photos of like, of like people, like they're literally sitting on the side of, of the boat. Yeah. Like, cause it's so tipped up. Like they're like, their feet are just dangling Yeah, on the other end of it. And I like, that's just extraordinary. It's like, you've, that's, you've had a lot of experience at that point to, to do something. Yeah. And I like think like, that. you know, so we, you know, I, I'm glad we went into this cause I think the analogy is like what we're kind of coming to here is like, you've got to start small and, and work and be good with the smaller things so you can build yourself up. But if you're trying to I mean, if you threw someone onto say one of those racing sailboats and you said, okay, get the most, like get the most out of the sailboat. It's like, they wouldn't be able to, they like, they wouldn't have the nerve. They wouldn't have the knowledge and the know-how and it just like, you know, unless they were kind of crazy or, or they yeah. wanted to put their life literally at risk, they might, but like most people wouldn't. So go back, go smaller, go to the basics and then build yourself back up. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think, when we think of acting and writing and music, we don't think of it like sailing. We don't really see that. Like it's kind of the same thing, you know, start small, start with something that you can manage right now. And then you can build upon that. Right. But like, if you try to perform like someone who's at the top of their game and you haven't even built the basics, you know, like when you look at Meryl Streep or Leonardo DiCaprio, or I think of Scorsese or whoever. Yeah. JJ Abrams, just name them to me, when I see those people, I go, those are people who mastered the basics so well that they can do the complicated shit that we all wish we could do. 
But the thing is, is that they still start with the basics. Exactly. Like the basics are never irrelevant. That's the thing. It's like, because I, I mean, if you took the basics out of their performances or of their work, their work wouldn't be good anymore. Yeah. It needs the basics and the complicated. Yeah. But like you need at least the basics. You can't have the complicated without the basics. Mm-hmm. That's basically. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, that was part of, I think what, uh, what were some of the issues that I ran into? Cause I had, I had some of these ideas about like, okay, how I wanted other, these little things to be recorded and little things that I wanted to do in the song. Right. And you forget about some of the basic stuff. It's like, okay, but we need to get this down first. Hmm. Like before we do anything, this has to, <laughs> this has to happen. Yeah. Right. And, and, uh, hmm. so you can't neglect it. You know, this is kind of similar to, uh, our last talk that we had, that we had did in some ways, you know, we had talked about, um, that movie, uh, Valerian that came out and has not been doing well in the box offices. And not that it's a horrible movie from what I understand, but, uh, some people think it is, but yeah, some people think it I is a, seen it a lot of people think it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I've heard some people say that it's like, there's, it has a lot of very mm-hmm. admirable, admirable qualities to it. Yeah. But you know, it was, you know, we, we had sort of were finding some criticism at least to, to be made in the marketing side of things where it was like, you know, you, it was dressed up with all these bells and whistles, Yeah. you know, like it, but where was the, where was the, su- where's the substance? Hmm. Like, cause even if the movie has substance, I have no idea if it, if it does, cause it looked like, and we'd compared it, we did another analogy with food, you know, it's like, okay, it's got all the sauces and the spices and you know, all of and seasonings and all of this stuff listed, but what's the, like, what am I eating? Yeah. What's what am the I, main what's dish? What's the main dish? And it's kind of, it's, it's kind of similar, a little bit different, but similar yeah. where it's just like, what's the main dish? What are we starting with? Right. Like, yeah, yeah, it's great. I love the, I love mango chutney with, you know, a cilantro and <laughs> peppercorn <laughs> glaze or some shit as much as the next guy. But it, like, what, what is this going on? Is it, is yeah. it going on chicken? Yeah. Is it beef? Fish? Fish? <laughs> what is this going on? Pasta? <laughs> yeah. You want to put mango chutney in pasta? Yeah. Sounds a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Sometimes it's, it, you really do. You just got to go back to the, and being okay. I think that's the big thing. It's like, we don't want to go to the basics because like, it's kind of an ego blow to us, you know, like it is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a big pride buster. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, I think that, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, pride's overrated (laughs) tiger woods, you know, before he won all his masters, he went back and he like, I think it was him. I think he reworked his reworked his swing, but like a lot of like a lot of these big stars, you know, they'll go back and they'll rework the basics. Like I heard, I think it was Michael Jordan, he would stay after and he would shoot like 500 three throws or something after every game or something like that. Yeah. The three throws are like a basic, you know, thing, right? This is go back to the basics, do the basics over and over and over again, because then when you get to the actual game and you've got to do something and you're facing that opposition, you're so confident that without anything, you could sink it. No problem. I mean, if you think about it, if you don't even know if you can sink the three throw or the free, free throw, uh, properly, um, without any opposition, then what makes you think you're going to be able to do it against the best in the world? Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, 
we need to be able to do things proficiently, almost perfectly, 100% of the time without any opposition. We need to get that good at it so that when we do have the opposition, that we can, we can trust that, okay, that basic is taken care of. Now, it's, I know I can sink the shot, but really my only obstacle is this person, not myself. Yeah. And I think like so often, and, and I, you know, I, I know this is true for me, is that if I'm ever working against myself, that's the first thing I should go and work on. Not work on how do I beat the system or how do I beat this person that is against yeah. me. But like, we we should practice so much and go back to the basics so much that we are never an obstacle in our own lives. Yeah. But if you look at most people's problems, this is just my opinion and my observation, but I will guarantee just about anybody you talk to, probably 95% of people you talk to, maybe even 98% of people, ask them what their greatest challenge is, ask them what their problem is. And the answer will come down to this. It's them. 95 to Mm. 98% of every single problem we ever have in our life. It's us. That's in the way. It's not the, Oh, the industry doesn't like me because I'm, you know, I'm foreign or the industry does not no good to women or blah, blah. It's not that. Yes. Those things exist, but that isn't actually your problem. Your problem is what you tell yourself and how you are and, and how you sabotage your, your ability to be so good that the world has to change. Mm-hmm. And like, this is something I go back, you know, to my basics with like writing, you know, I, I just did my five years. I'm on to my 10. Now I'm going to do my 10 years of writing every single day, but I need to be so good as a writer that the industry and whatever happens in the industry can never say no to me. I'm not saying I'm there yet, but, but I attribute most of my issues to just the fact that I'm in my own way. And if yeah. I look at it that way, you know, it, it provided I keep practicing, I figure out at one, at some point I'm going to be so good at writing that it won't matter what's happening in the industry anymore. It will mm. ne- and, and so that 2% of problems that are external, they won't even matter because if I think about it, 98% of people or 97% of people are not practicing like I do. Mm. So I'm in 1%. So then everybody wants to be in the 1%, but not everyone wants to do what the 1% does, which is you practice every single day. You want to be the rich person. You save every little like percentage of the dollar that you can. And you do that always 100%. And everything is like that. It all goes down to the basics. It all, it all starts where it's like within our control, but we, we, you know, and I think there's all these, like, there's all these like self-help personal growth courses that are all, they're all like, so focused on something so far away, but it's like, mm. are you getting up early in the morning to right. start your, to start your dream? Or are you sleeping in? That's a basic. Are yeah. you eating well? Like you're tired. You don't have enough energy. Are you eating well? Like it, it, it's, it's simple little things. It's not. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is what's funny about it to me. And, and I find this, I kind of laugh at myself is that myself and all of us, we all have all the answers we need but we, we keep going, no, it can't be that simple. It must be this complicated thing out here. Yeah. (laughs) That's why we're stuck. Just go back to the basics, eat well, you know, get up early or whatever, stay up late. doesn't matter. You're going to do one or the other sacrifice some sleep, sacrifice, you know, like work out a little every day, do something every day that gets you closer to what you want. You can always do that. You could be in a prison cell and you could be like, 
you know, if, if you say, well, I can't get fit cause I can't get access to the gym. And like people say that cause the gym's too far away. For example, it's like, but they could leave. There's people in a prison cell that are more fit than you. How is that possible? They get one hour where they can walk around outside and 23 hours of their life. They're in a prison cell and they're more fit than you. That should not be happening. That means that they built a discipline around something that you haven't. If we built disciplines around all the things that we say are important to us, I think we'd solve like 95 to 98% of our problems Mm. right there. And then we would be dealing with the last 2%, which are real issues that, you know, basically they just stop everybody, but that like 1% of people who keep following through and doing their thing, you know? Yeah. Right. I mean, it makes, and the basics are so basic that I think that's why is like, they're so basic and so obvious. That's why we look past them. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you learn guitar, you practice guitar. Like part of like having a music career is partly to do with like, did like one of the first things you have to solve, you want to do it and be like, say a guitarist, you need to practice guitar. Yeah. So the first problem is you (laughs) practice guitar. I don't have a guitar. Well, then your other problem is either borrow it, rent it, loan it. If you need to buy it, then you're, then you're in, and money's the only thing, then money's your problem. So let's go back to money. What's the money problem? Well, I I don't have enough money. Well, what's the cheapest guitar you can get? How cheap can you get one for? I don't know. Yeah. I've seen some for 30 bucks. I've seen for for hundred. Okay. Well, I need 30 to hundred bucks. Okay. So how much money you got to put aside per day to get your guitar problem solved? It's you. It's not that you don't have a guitar. Yeah. And if people like kind of, or do you know, like some yeah. like relative who just has a guitar sitting around that sure. they never use, you know, like it's yeah, dude, I mean, start everywhere. connecting with people on social media. Someone will give you a guitar. Yeah. You know what I mean? The thing is, is that w- like so many of our problems that we say are problems are not really problems. It's just that we aren't willing to look at ourselves. And if we looked at ourselves and went back to the basics, you know, and, and it, you know, it starts, it starts with humility. All of it starts with, I don't, I, I, I haven't practiced. I don't have what I need. I don't know what I need. Let's go. Okay. Well, you don't know what you need. Then every single day from now on, you need to figure out what you need. That's your goal. That's it. You go, I don't like the reason why I can't be a successful actress. Cause I don't know what I need to be a successful. Then every single day, what you're going to do from now on is go and figure that out until you do. And one day you will. And then you'll have the next problem. And that will be something else that you'll need to do. And it just, you know, if you're committed, you'll do it. Yeah. But like, you know, I think the thing is, is like, I also like, I think there's a lot of people out there in the world that are kind of making money out of making life more complicated. Mm. And that bothers me, you know, cause I think like really like the best mentors and teachers, they tell you to do the most simple things. Yeah. And then once you've done those simple things really well, then they tell you to do more complicated things. But if someone's telling you to do more complicated things before you've done the simple things, I don't think they're a good teacher. I don't think they're a good guide or a good mentor. I think they're confused. I think you should be doing very, very, very simple things until you get really good at simple things. And then you can be proficient and you can demonstrate that you're good at simple things. And then you can move on to more complicated things. Yeah. And the thing is, is that whatever you're doing, if you, if you're proficient at it will always seem simple. Yeah. Yeah. Just look at the karate kid, man. Yeah. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, right? wax off. <laughs> Started learning the simple things. Started learning the basics. Right. First. And there's even the scene in the movie where he's getting a little, like where he's finally learning how to punch. 
and then he, and then Mr. Miyagi just drops him. He's just like, he's like, he's like, get down there. <laughs> You're getting a little ahead of yourself here. <laughs> yeah. Um, beer? Yeah, let's talk about this beer. Kate, I want to hear what your thoughts on it. So this is Tell us. quite the rich red looking brew here. And it's uh, definitely like a fruit, like a f- fruit beer of, of a wit, a wit perhaps. Yeah. Um, or, a, or just a wheat ale, some kind of a fruit wheat ale. Let's <laughs> have another sip of that. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, like I'm saying like a raspberry or something. Okay. That's what you're getting. Yeah. It's, it's really good though. It's super tasty. Yeah, it's good. I, I liked it. I mean, I'm enjoying it. It's a little more sour actually than I usually would like. I didn't know I hadn't tasted it when I bought it, but, um, let me, let me tell you what it is. This is called cherry high cherry. Yeah. So it's wild cherry ale. Mm. It's from Strathcona brewery. Nice. I like their stuff. Proudly located in Vancouver's oldest residential neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) That's quite the claim. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so yeah, it's called Cherry High. Uh, So what do you think? Thumbs up? Two? One? Definitely a thumbs up for me. Two? Yeah, it's like it has that little bit of tartness to it. um, Because I'm not a huge sour sour beer fan myself either. Yeah. Um, But to me, this is just kind of the right... It's just kind of the right level of tartness. Yeah, it's good. It's not, it's not too much. I mean, it's kind of like, I I wouldn't normally get an ale in the summer, but because it was kind of the fruity type type of ale, I figured it might be worth it. And it's worked out all right. You know, it's a thumbs up from me. Another thumbs up for me from Strathcona, Strathcona beer here. Yeah. Yeah. They're good. They are very good. We get a lot of good beers. to be disappointed. Well, I mean, uh, do you want to, do you want to try and wrap up what we've been talking about? I mean, it sounds like, I mean, at the end there, I was kind of go back to basics. We kind of had the sailing analogy. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about your music experience and what you discovered about how to be kind of prepared before you start doing the fine tuning. And we talked a lot about refinement and fine tuning and polishing, but only doing that after you've done the kind of crude work yeah. that is necessary. Cause the thing is that the refinement is actually determined by, by that, what you set as your base, right? You know, like if you start doing the refinements before it's time to do them, you're not going to be making the right refinements anyhow, right? Your work is all going to be for not like we use the the thing about like doing the sculpture and it's like, well, yeah, you refine this one, one little corner of it, but what the hell are you going to do over here? You've completely neglected the rest of this. How's that even going to fit? This isn't going to fit in with that. Yeah. You know, like there's, so that's why it's so important. You create that sketch, you create that basic piece, that thing, you know, that first draft that, you know, that first sort of like sketch of the song that you can play start to finish on your own, mm. you know, just like all the way through it, you know, exactly how you're playing it. Right you get that, get that down. Just these, yeah, getting that basic shit, because then that helps you determine the refinements to make. Cause otherwise you don't know what refinements you need to make. Mm-hmm. 
to it. Like it's, it's part of the process. Just get comfortable with being really basic Yeah. because it's like, it's not going to stay that way. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. It's not going to stay that way. You're going to, you yeah, now you're going to do the work, but you can't refine before you've done the crude work. Right. So this is kind of just to help for me, like affirm some stuff. And, and you know, one thing that I started doing again is like doing guitar exercises. This is one of those things I kind of like slip in and out of doing, you know, like oftentimes I'm just like, Oh, just pick up and play. And that's fine. But, um, I started doing exercises again, Mm. like little, little things for playing. And it's like, and they, every single time I do them, I'm always better. They always help me grow some skill. It makes me more proficient. It makes me more able to then in the moment, because when you're doing like a scale exercise or something and you're just like, you're like, okay, you know, I'm just doing this thing. It's nothing particularly musical about it. You're just going up, up and down the scale in Mm. a variation of ways. But now your fingers are being like all these little things are starting to happen. They're starting to become like muscle memory. Yes. You know? And, and it's like, I don't have to think about certain things anymore. It's just like my finger, like my hands just synchronize and they come together and they, and they just play something that they didn't used to just want to play before. Right. You know, they just do it in the moment now when I'm actually making music, you know, like it just, they set these things up for us. And yeah, it's setting ourselves up, um, for, for good things to happen Mm. really is what it is. And, and, and I think us being able to, uh, accept that part of the process and even find a way to enjoy and appreciate it is, I think it's actually kind of a liberating thing where it's just like, cause it allows you to let go of, some ideas of like, it has to be perfect. You know, anytime you can let that shit go a little bit more as an artist, the freer you become. Right. And people, it's like things like, yeah, but I don't want to make shit. It's like, well, of course you don't want to make shit. But I mean, it's like you, this is just how the process happens. Yeah. Like (laughs) if you try and skip the step, you're going to make shit. Yeah unless you're really fucking lucky. Right. But this is about like, there's a degree of staying consistent, you know, and it starts with, it starts with doing the basics, you know, doing, doing the basic things right and getting really good at doing those basic things right. And then the world becomes your oyster. I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm finding that to be more true all the time. You know, that book I was, I've been talking about a lot drive. Yeah. Talk about motivation. Uh, you know, basically the ultimate level or at least the third level of motivation, which is, you know, about autonomy and mastery and about contribution. And one of the things they talk about in mastery is a lot about practice and it's about doing things that are difficult for you, but you're capable of doing them but like doing like, like, because part of what actually drives us is to become really proficient and good at things. Mm. And there's another book. The next book I read, um, was called notes on directing. I don't remember the author's name, but it's a really good book. But at the end of it, he shares this exercise, which I thought was really great. I don't know if you, will you demonstrate? Can I do a demonstration with you? Sure. Okay. Cause it's interesting. Cause so Mary had a little lamb whose fleece was white as snow. That's your line. Okay. okay. So start your line. Mary had a little Who? lamb. 
Mary. Who? Mary. Okay. Yeah, go on. Mary had a little lamb. A, a what? A what kind of lamb? A little lamb. A little lamb. A little lamb. Okay, a little yeah. lamb. Yeah. Go ahead. Who's? Go, start again. Start again. All right. Mary had a little lamb. Ma- who? Mary. Okay. <laughs> so you do this with the actors. Right. Over and over. You keep asking them the words and, and, and then they get the fleece was white as snow. It was, it was what? It was white. How white? And so the person starts to have to keep filling in like, Oh, it's Mary. Like it's Mary. It's like, so Mary had a little lamb or has a little lamb. No, she had one. Oh, when, when did she have it? Oh, she had it here. Okay. Mary had a little lamb. And so then what happens is that every time you do the line, every single word you said was like, I had to tell you what it was. Cause like they, the, the director is pointing out, he's like, um, how actors will forget the basics of communicating an idea. The thing is, is mm. that Mary had a little lamb could be a profound comment. If Mary's real to me and I understand her relationship to this lamb and, and that whether it was past or present tense matters to me, you know? Like, and the thing is in certain ways we communicate, we, like you and I, you know, we, we're saying a lot of words right now. Right. But like, theoretically, especially if we get emotional behind it, it probably meant something to us, but like theater and, and acting and film, if it's really great acting, what they're saying, even if it does not seem meaningful to them is very real and meaningful. Mm-hmm. And so this one exercise, I loved it because I thought, I'm going to do this with all my work. It's a great way to go back to kind of doing scales. It's a great way to go back. And I'm saying a sentence and go, wait, who this person, who this person, you know, and every time you do it, it's like, when now had or has had had, okay. You know, how long ago? Okay. So you, you know, you start putting all this information in. Yeah. then what happens, you create a relationship to the thing you're saying. Yeah. And now like the thing is, is like, what is probably the biggest problem is that when people say something in acting, you don't believe them. Yeah. I mean, that's such a big part of the issue, but it's like, if you're communicating, I mean, there's like, I like the work that you've done, you know, you know, the Meisner moment to moment, be connected and true to you. But when it comes to the text, make the text is like word for word, moment to moment to moment. Like every little thing that you're saying has some type of value and meaning to it. Anyway, um, th- I this, like that. I like th- that a lot. Yeah. This book is really interesting because what it really does is it gives you like a bunch of notes on how to go back to the basics mm-hmm. and, and basically shows you that all the basics are what make theater profound. And, yeah. and basically they're saying, I mean, they're without saying it, but they're kind of suggesting that like most of the problems that you're running into is people are getting way too far ahead of themselves before they've done the basics. That's a huge problem for actors for yeah, sure. Totally. I know I've been guilty of that. Yeah. Oh, me it's too, like, you know, sure. and when I did my Meister training, that was a huge part of it was, and, and that was directly communicated to us. And we actually had other exercises and other ways of learning to work that bring you back to the basics of like, um, you know, he used to, Larry Silverwood used to always yell at us and you'd just like, you'd be like, really talk and really listen. <laughs> like yeah. how, like it's so fucking simple. Yeah. But it's just like, you get so ahead of yourself. You got, you start thinking of what has to happen or what you need to do mm-hmm. or what, you know, blah, 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 all the stuff. And you forget to just really talk and really listen. And you forget about what happens as an actor and as a person 
when you start to really talk and really listen, because suddenly like you remember to do that basic thing and you just start learning and, and you train stuff and you practice. That's kind of part of what the Meisner work is, is a practice of really talking and really listening. And when you really get good at that practice of doing that, suddenly all of these things that you used to need to have, like all of these little techniques and tricks to, to cover up essentially, yeah. or to deal with, or to fool yourself somehow they they completely just disappear. Right. There's no more problem because you're just actually really talking and really listening. And suddenly there's like, Oh shit, I don't have to do all of this other stuff. I don't have to do them. Cause it's like, it's it, just, it's just happening. Like, you, it's not like there's no, there's nothing for me to do because it's just, it's just happening. You know, this, yeah. it's interesting because this directory also points out that, um, you know, when actors try to do or prove something more, like they try to do more than the text, they insult the writer and, and ultimately the playwright because they're like assuming that the work won't stand on its own. Mm. And if you look at any great play that's lasted, all that work stands on its own. It's not the work that's the problem. It's that the actor isn't connected to the work and the actor make some assumption that they need to somehow show people what's going on. Right. Cause when I say Mary had a little lamb, Mary had a little lamb is communicating something. But if Mary had a little lamb and, and it means something to me, the whole fucking story of Mary and how she yeah. had this lamb all of a sudden becomes meaningful. And the thing is, is that a good playwright knows that your, your meaning behind Mary and her having this lamb at one point, if, if the writer is good, they trust that you will make that meaningful. And that as long as you make it meaningful, not even that you have to try to show me it's meaningful to you, just make it meaningful to you. And then just say yeah. line. But if you do that, my work, the, the writer's work will be held up perfectly fine. So, yeah. so don't, don't assume as a writer that you need to do any of that work. And if you're, and then the the writer's argument is like, well, I'm working with shitty work, then own the shitty work. If it really truly is, but like, you don't have to show anybody anything. And the thing is, is that there's really like, what is going to happen if you're working with really shitty material, something's going to happen where it's going to go, okay, well that's not working but it's going to not be the actor's fault that it's not working. You're going to go, why doesn't this make sense? Cause like, I can see that you're saying it and it makes sense to you. And it's true to you was well, some truth here, but like this doesn't because the director's job is to be able to take the whole picture and go, wait a minute, there's something that's not happening. And even the director, like they're pointing out, like even the director doesn't know everything either. And so the director needs to be very careful about changing the words, but like, if, if we just trust on the basics, if we just go down to our foundations and we see that 97% of the time it's our issue, it's not the issue. It's not yeah. the text. It's not the casting director. It's not the director. It's not anybody but us. The thing is, is that we simply need to do like as, as actors, for example, is communicate truthfully. Yeah. Whether the story works or things are making sense, that's for someone else to take care of. You know what I mean? That's not your job to make sure everybody understands. Cause like, you know, they're pointing out that the moment an actor starts to do that, it literally starts to destroy the whole 
fucking production. Mm. It's actually, that's more often what takes down the production. And basically, cause what happens is the audience goes, the, the, he, he puts up this point where he says the audience gets suspicious of you when you try to do more than what is, what is called of you. They go, why are you trying so hard to tell me this? Why? Yeah. And so then once they start getting suspicious, they start to go, Mm. And if your other people around you are acting as though that isn't happening too, it just makes everybody go, no, this isn't real. There's, there's something, yeah. there's something, the, the, what? the magic is, has been lost. The yeah. illusion has been broken. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the wires are showing, right? Yeah. And so like, if you're trying to convince me of something, it, it, ironically, I might very well just look the opposite of what you're trying to get me to do. So it doesn't serve anybody to try harder than like, and I'm saying try hard, not work hard. Yeah. Work hard, you know, do your what exercise where you go, Mary, who, Mary, who, Mary. Okay. Mary had, had or has had, you know, and do that exercise, do that work, do your moment to moment, breathe, do all that stuff and just relax and let that go and trust that that's all we need because the, these other things like it's not a one person show. It's a team, you know, ultimately, even if you are, even, even if you're doing a one man show or a one woman show, even then it's not all on you. It's, it's, it's on the audience. It's on the stage. It's on the lighting. It's on the, you know, it's, there's so many other factors. And so like, once we start taking the pressure off ourselves to be doing something more than what is all of a sudden, what is becomes somehow magical because like, here's the other thing. Like they say that audiences get suspicious when you try to show them what's going on. I'm sure people have seen this where they've been to like live theater or something. And someone's indicating you're like, why are they showing so hard to do that? You know what I mean? It's yeah. too much. But when an actor's doing nothing, you almost kind of want to go like, what's in there? I need to know. So in weird way, instead of getting suspicious, you just look deeper. Yeah you look for it and then you find it. And whether the actor meant to show it to you or not, or the playwright did or not, you find it in there. Yeah. And like you, you can actually, an audience member could walk away. And this is, I think the value of reviews. If a reviewer actually experienced the play is they'll write about a play and they'll go, it was like this. And he has this thing where he goes, yeah, he's like, yeah, but we'll never recreate that. And it's pretty cool that they saw that. But like, (laughs) that's what the play provided for them. That's what yeah. we're trying to do. Right. We're trying to provide them an experience of something that we don't even know what experience we're trying to provide. It's right. Just, Cause we don't, we only have a limited perception of the truth. So that's we just got a be, different thing to everybody. Exactly. But if it's truthful, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Cause really people don't want the actual answer. They want facilitated the truth to come out of them. Yes. And you can never know that because you could have hundreds or thousands of people in your audience who have all different perspectives, but everyone that walks away with a kind of getting truth from the play, even if they didn't like it, but it was still truthful, there's still something in that, right? But if they didn't like it because you didn't trust them and you spoon fed them and you tried too hard, yeah then you actually just rob them of giving it, getting a chance to experience. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know. It's, it was interesting because yeah. it all just comes down to the basics. Yeah. Just do the basics and don't, you know, and, 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 and ironically, like that, that's the thing that that's the thing. It sounds, 
If it, you, it sounds like there's some way to game this, but I'm not, you don't game no, it, you know? It's like, in many ways, it's like if you master the basics, you become a master. That's it. It's not all the other little things. Cause often those little things, they're optional, mm-hmm. you know, like they're not always necessarily what is, what will even be required, you know, of you at any given moment. It's just like, but the basics, master the basics and you become a master. Totally. Yeah, that's good. Maybe that's kind of what our talk's been about. It's been a cool one though, yeah, man. It's been interesting. Yeah, man. Um, all right. Well, I think what I'm going to just take away from this is I'm, I'm going to continue to look at the, the basics of, of my, you know, my artistic career and just my career in general and just focus on what I do control right now. And actually, you know, saying that out loud too, the 97% of the time you're the one that's in your way. I'm going to kind of look at where I'm making things too complicated and I'm just in my way and just go back. Like, what's the basic thing here? What's the simple thing that needs to be done and focus on that and, and recognize that like, Oh, I'm not practiced at this. I'm not good at it yet. So just practice at that. And that might take some time. I might not get to have it instantly. Yeah. Instead of trying to, you know, skate past that, I'm just going to focus on what I need to do. Yeah. There's a little thing I'm going to throw in here because it just, it just struck me in this whole thing that I feel somehow related is like, also look at where you're maybe taking it a bit too seriously. Mm. (laughs) Right. You know, I think that's often like taking shit too seriously and taking our work too seriously gets us into like this space of making things way too more complicated and intellectualizing shit way too much. Yeah. That's kind of so, like, that's a good, yeah, it's a good note. It's I mean, kind of like a, another little side thing. It's like a whole, it's almost, it's almost a whole nother topic unto itself, but well, um, make, make practice fun, make the basics fun. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, cause I think that's the reason why we don't practice. Cause we go, Oh, I don't want to have to do my scales. I don't want to have to do this. Right. It's like, make it fun, make it for yourself and, and see the value in it and just relax and, 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 and trust that if you, if you do it enough, you'd probably be pretty good yeah. at it. Well, I mean, the thing that's fun for me is like, you know, when I'm working on my scales and actually like noticing improvement and just being like, Oh wow. Like I've gotten way faster at this now. Hmm. This used to take me however long to get this right. And now it's like, it took me like two run throughs and I'm doing it faster. It's like, sometimes that's like actually seeing the improvement is such a huge, um, motivator. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Anyhow. Anyway. Fun. All right. Thanks for tuning in everybody. We'll see you again soon. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.